Hey, welcome to the Danny Abel podcast, where I help you connect the dots between mindset, metabolism, nutrition, and fitness to help you easily understand complex health and wellness concepts. I'm thrilled you're here to listen to what I have to share. So let's dive right in. Hey guys, welcome back. On today's episode, I'm going to be sharing some beliefs and habits that have the ability to improve your hormone function, as well as some beliefs and habits that actually have the ability to reduce your hormone function. And this is all related to metabolism. I specifically wanted to incorporate beliefs in this because as as we execute our habits and as we go through our life, it's helpful for us to realize that oftentimes these are influencing what we do. So the reason for this is because of your beliefs, your biases, and your blocks, and they influence your current state of mind or your mindset. And, and they therefore, they lead to performing behaviors or actions that support these ideas. So this concept comes from CBT, which is cognitive behavior theory. Now, there is also something called cognitive behavior therapy, but the theory is really just that this process occurs. The therapy is actually like therapy, um, counseling, that kind of a thing. And we're not going to get into that here, here because I'm a coach, not a therapist, but this can really help us as we start to explore kind of what we think, how we feel, and therefore how we behave. Okay, so just so you are aware, cognitive behavior theory is rooted in the hypothesis that our thinking and our feelings from how we think and what we have learned and how we cope with our problems influence the actions or the behaviors that we take. So this is like literally science, guys. Like this is a thing. So when we become more self-aware of what our thoughts and our feelings are and how they're leading to our actions, our practices, our behavior, or whatever you want to call it, then we can become more able to change the way that we behave. So what inspired me to create this episode is actually from the time that I have spent putting together my course, The Metabolism Mastermind, because, you know, it truly, it's not that people don't know what they should be doing. You know, like I I highly doubt that you don't know what you should be doing, but oftentimes what I find is that they don't know how this information applies to them as an individual person and then how to put it into practice. Really, it's about having the knowledge and the tools to apply it to yourself. So when we talk about biofeedback, I'm referring to subjective or qualitative data and information that is really not or doesn't have a standard way of measuring it. So different people are going to evaluate it in different ways. And this is honestly what what makes it so complicated. So we use a frame inside of the metabolism group, and it is it's a frame that is rooted in biofeedback. So the list is as following, and this is the subjective list. I haven't included the objective list for you, but the subjective list is your sleep management biofeedback, your hunger biofeedback, 
your training recovery biofeedback, your energy level biofeedback, your digestive function biofeedback, your stress management biofeedback, your cycle and fertility biofeedback, and your progress photo biofeedback. So when we look at these different subjective pieces of data, what we can begin to see are problems that you might be experiencing. So I actually teach this to students using a problem identification matrix, but essentially what we can identify from a problem perspective, it essentially shows us like where are our opportunities. So you might be thinking like, how does this have anything to do with hormones, Danielle? But wait, just wait, <laughs> there, there will be a reason. The reason why is because biofeedback is so important as it relates to hormones. And this is because if you're anything like me, you can't get weekly labs drawn. Like your doctor's just not going to do it. It would be unrealistic for you to pay for weekly labs to be drawn. And you probably wouldn't want to spend the time getting weekly labs drawn. So labs give us an objective number of what's going on with your internal health. Whereas subjective data like biofeedback gives us subjective feedback. Typically subjective is going to be qualitative. So it might be like how you're feeling, how is it going related to sleep, hunger, training, um, you know, stress management cycle, that kind of a thing. Like you're probably able to describe how that's going for you. So that's going to be an example of subjective ways that we can kind of like untangle the mess that is hormones. So hopefully that helps you to kind of just make that, make that connection. And honestly, the labs, they're just not realistic. So we need a realistic way. And this is kind of, this has come through coaching. Like this is how coaches who don't necessarily all, including me for crying out loud, for, 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 for those of us who don't have access to that, that objective data consistently. So this is the way that we have kind of navigated this as a way to understand like what is truly going on on the inside. And then sometimes we definitely, if we have an opportunity in order to like actually look at hormone levels, then we'll get some labs. Like we'll actually ask for some labs and we can do this through, you know, your primary care provider, if they're open to drawing them others, like we actually just kind of go through the back door and we use like a third party um, testing service for my clients, I would say like, it's usually about a 50, 50. Um, some of their providers are like totally fine with it. And they're like, yep, no problem. And the client just explains that they're working with, you know, a metabolism and nutrition coach. And they're like, yeah, no problem. We'll just add that on to your annual labs. Whereas like other ones will be like, no, it's not going to qualify for insurance or whatever. And so we can usually get those labs drawn for, uh, I think it's about like maybe 200 or $250 from like different third-party companies. So there's ways of obtaining this data. And what's kind of nice is that if we have the subjective biofeedback data, if at some point we get objective data, then we can pair those two pieces of data up. And it really helps to paint a more comprehensive picture for the person. And, you know, you're better able to kind of see like, oh, wow, okay, there really is something to like, why I am feeling this way and the outcomes that I have had thus far. And outcomes are usually like plateaus of some kind or some type of like a negative health outcome. 
So when we talk about hormones, the hormones that I primarily am looking at from like a health and wellness perspective or a metabolism and a strength perspective are, are kind of three different subsets. One is going to be like the inflammatory hormone cascade, which primarily is cortisol. Um, we can also look at CRP, which is C-reactive protein. We can also look at ESR, which, which is erythrocyte sedimentation rate. But overall, like most people are kind of familiar with cortisol. So I'm, I'm going to lead with that. And then secondarily, we want to look at sex hormones. And then thirdly, thyroid hormones or thyroid function. So cortisol is going to be your stress and your inflammatory hormone. It's part of a cascade of other hormones that essentially help you to react to stressful situations. And this could be like physical situations where you need to like fight, um, or it could be things where you need to like run away. It's like literally fight or flight, or it could be emotional situations that you are navigating in your mind. Okay, so cortisol should naturally rise and fall based on the day. So in the morning, it should increase to help you get out of bed in the morning and get going. And then at night, it should gradually fall. So what we don't want to have happen is we don't want cortisol to chronically stay elevated all of the time. And I'm not going to get into like what the actual physiology behind that is, but there's a number of cascading effects that results in downregulated hormones in other areas of the body. So sex hormones, these are going to be things like estrogen, which is on lab values referred to as estradiol, progesterone, and testosterone. And this is for both men and women. So for women, estrogen and progesterone are going to be fluctuating based upon the time of the month. And I'm not going to go into that in this episode because honestly, that's an episode for another day. But overall, we want to see we want to see rises and fall rising and falling, I should say, of estrogen and progesterone based upon the time of the month, whether it be like the first portion of the cycle, which is going to be the follicular phase, which is pre-ovulation, or after ovulation, which is going to be the uh, luteal phase. All right, so testosterone for both men and women are going to influence libido and tissue growth. And it also influences other things, but for the purposes of this episode, I just kind of wanted to keep it succinct. So for women, yes, we need testosterone. But with sex hormones, there are levels in which we want these hormones to be within. So too much or too little causes negative effects and resultant negative biofeedback. So for example, too high of estrogen in women can cause long or regular periods. Whereas too low of progesterone can cause shortened cycles, and both of these issues can therefore impact fertility. So for men, too much testosterone and too much body fat can cause more testosterone to be converted to body fat. For women, too much testosterone can produce male sexual characteristics, um, high libidos, like where it's actually like impacting function and it's not necessarily a good thing. And even low testosterone can reduce libido and have negative impact on things like tissue and muscle building. So we have to recognize with women, you know, when menopause starts, this also influences sex hormones, which will be overall reduced. All of those levels are just going to be reduced because they don't have the natural uh, fluctuations of estrogen and progesterone like you would through an ovulatory cycle. 
So we have to find ways of supporting the body in other ways and reducing stressors so that the sex hormones that are present and are being produced in the body are not further reduced. So as it relates to the thyroid, so there's a lot of information to unpack related to the thyroid about the signaling from the brain, how it's converted to active thyroid hormone, which is T3. But for the purposes of this episode, I just want to kind of talk about T3, which is triodothyronine. I am not an endocrinologist and I'm probably butchering that name, but for what you need to know is it's the, it's T3. It's free T3. That's not bound. Um, meaning it's bound by a protein and it cannot act metabolically on tissues. So T3 is what is going to influence whether or not if we have too much of it, something like hypothyroidism occurs. Whereas when we have too little of it, did I say hypothyroidism? I meant hyper. So too much is hyperthyroidism and too little is hypo. Thyroidism. Now, the one thing I just want to like put a little star on here is oftentimes if you're somebody who has hypothyroidism, what you're actually getting drawn is TSH, which is the stimulating hormone, which is what tells the thyroid to make these other hormones. And that's not what I'm talking about here. This is kind of what I was referring back to when I started the thyroid conversation around how this is this is kind of a domino effect. Uh, I'm not going to get into that today, but what you need to know is that we need to have adequate amounts. And if we have too much or too little, then that impacts function. So by now you might have a better understanding of like, you know, what these hormones are and how they can impact your biofeedback. And then as a result, why you hear things on the internet, like balancing your hormones or boosting your metabolism. But you might be thinking like, where the heck, (laughs) where the heck does anyone start with this stuff? And I'm here to tell you that we start with biofeedback. We have to start here because we need to identify where are the opportunities. And if you're anything like me and many of the clients that I work with, you know, you probably have many opportunities. I mean, we all do. (laughs) This is expected and it's okay. You know, once we know where the problems lie, then we can work on addressing them. But oftentimes, kind of going back to the beginning of the episode here, we're not even really aware. We're really not even aware of what these problems are because we don't have a process or a framework to follow. And possibly you may not even know, like, what should even be included? You know, what is biofeedback? So let's go through a list that I mentioned earlier, and this is a frame that I teach inside of the Metabolism Mastermind, and I think you'll better be able to see what is going to like essentially improve hormone function to that level that's optimal for function, and what is going to quote unquote drain that function, meaning like it's either going to be too high or too low, and so it's not going to be at an optimal level. All right, so sleep management. I know this is boring, guys, but it is literally so basic. It's so basic. You're like, yep, I know. I'm supposed to be getting adequate sleep. But I think the way that you're thinking about it might be leading you to like an unrealistic mindset about about it. So what I, I oftentimes will look at is I'm just looking at weekly averages. I'm looking at weekly averages, monthly averages, that kind of a thing. Like if we start to look at it day by day by day, 
you're going to see normal fluctuations. I mean, like for me last night, I didn't sleep so well because I went to bed a little bit later just because on Tuesday night, my routine is a little bit off. And so therefore, if I just like hunkered into the fact that like on Tuesday nights, I don't get enough sleep or adequate sleep or quality sleep, then it might lead me to this like all or nothing thinking and being like, well, I'm never going to improve it. So like, why even try? But I'm here, we need to look, I'm here to tell you that we need to look at the trends. We need to look at the averages and like literally no one is getting eight hours of sleep every single night. It's not realistic. So hunger, you know, this can be things like extreme hunger, or if it can even be things like no hunger. What we're looking at here is we're evaluating digestive function. Like, do you have hunger cues present or are they extremely present? You know, you should feel hungry before meals. And yes, that includes breakfast, you guys that skip breakfast out there. This is a nutritional stressor. And sure, you can do it. You can keep doing it, sure, but just know that it's going to slow your metabolism. So I usually encourage clients to look at the rest of their day and evaluate like how that decision of skipping breakfast is potentially leading to negative outcomes later in the day. Like things like fatigue, lack of energy, low motivation. When we start to look closer, there's usually some problems or opportunities that we can detect. And usually when I start asking more clarifying questions around that, well, tell me more about like, why do you skip breakfast? A lot of thoughts and feelings come out. See how I'm connecting this all back together? So a lot of thoughts and feelings come out that therefore influence behavior. And so like, we truly need to understand like, why do you think why, why, why do you think that's a good thing? Like what led you to do that? You know, like we can even unpack a lot of things from, you know, I mean, I've even gone as far back with people as saying like, you know, like, where do you think you learned that? And it'll be like, well, my mom was always chronically on a diet and so she would do it. And so therefore I just learned that that's kind of how you have to do it. And it's like, wow. Okay. Like we have a lot to unpack here. In regards to training, in general, when it comes to training, you should feel ready to train, ready to move, you know, be prepared for the day. But if you're not, we need to determine, like, where is this, where is this coming from? Is it due to lack of sleep, a lack of recovery, you know, not taking deloads, not taking rest days? We have to realize that, like, we have to have times where we're doing less and times where we're doing more. And this could also be related to not eating enough for how much you're moving, like how much activity are you expending and therefore just kind of like blowing calories out the back door? Energy biofeedback, honestly, this can come from so many different places, but some foundations to start with are things like building a balanced plate. I know this is really basic, you guys, but it really, really helps. Protein, fiber, which is going to be fruits or veggies, some starchy carbohydrates and fats. Because that combination, like that is balanced eating. This approach allows us to not only like rapidly digest those simple to digest starchy carbohydrates and give us quick energy, but the protein, fiber, and the fats slow digestion and allow us to have sustained energy until our next mealtime. You know, another one here is emotional. I mean, if we're not setting boundaries and creating routines and allowing ourselves, you know, some downtime, it's easy for you to get stuck in this situation where like all of your emotional energy is zapped and you like literally are just like brain dead. (laughs) 
I mean, I know that seems like a little bit extreme, but like it could be physical energy or it could be emotional energy. Digestive function. So digestive function is another one that we can have, you know, many different facets that impact this from a psychological perspective. We just talked about like boundaries, self-care. This truly does impact your digestion because if you're in that chronically stressed state all the time, your body doesn't want to digest food. It wants to like fight somebody or run away. From a physical standpoint, you know, one that's often overlooked here is um, when I'm working with with clients and, and they're not adequately recovering from training or they're not taking deloads or they're not taking rest days. What results here is, is a process of catabolism, which is where our body is actually having to break down tissues in order to meet the demands that we are placing upon it from an energy perspective. And that's, that's going to negatively impact your performance. It's negatively going to impact your body composition. And eventually it will negatively also impact your health. Stress management biofeedback. I mean, I feel like a broken record here, but the emotional stress impacts your body just like the physiological stress from things like too little energy, meaning like not eating enough food and from too much energy going out. And this is things like poor training recovery and even poor digestion, which therefore impacts energy availability because we're literally not digesting the food that we're eating and providing it to organs and tissues in our body. You know, this can be as simple as doing things like pre-planning your meals, meal planning. I know, boring, right? But like, think about what that process gets you. What does it get you? Less stress during the week? Does it get you, you know, not having to worry about like what you're going to eat for the day? Does it get you not hanging out of your refrigerator at 7 p.m. looking at your refrigerator and being like, hmm, wonder what I should eat to try and hit these macros, you know? Or if you're intuitively eating, it could be making sure that you have a strategy to follow for your meals and for self-monitoring yourself so that when the numbers aren't there through your tracking app, You don't go nuts and anxiety doesn't creep in and therefore influence what you're thinking about yourself, how you're feeling about yourself, and therefore how you're behaving. So cycle and fertility biofeedback. You know, by now you can probably understand how our sex hormones get influenced by all of these different types of potential stressors on the body. You know, physical bodily stress, too much or too intense training psychological stress, not managing our boundaries or mental energy, physiological stress, not knowing how much to eat for your body or monitoring how your body is digesting the food. When all of these things are occurring, there are stressors that are placed on the body. And so therefore, hormones are going to signal to the brain that conditions inside of the body aren't very good. You know, like I, I even hate saying that, like, it sounds like it just sounds bad, but like, I'm, I'm just truly trying to be honest with you and just letting you know that this is how it works. Like, this is literally how it works. This is what happened to me. You know, my, my progesterone was very low. So I had a miscarriage. I had another miscarriage and then eventually realized that my progesterone was very low. And so now that I know what I know, you know, about why it was low, you know, one of the two main problems that I had was an extreme amount of psychological stress from an extremely stressful career and likely physical stress 
from really poor intake, I mean, I had no idea what to do with my food. You know, my main goal was just try and not gain weight. And so I would do a lot of restriction or I'd skip breakfast or I'd eat, you know, I'd like order the stupid salad or, you know, take the bun off of the burger because these are all ways that I could reduce my intake down. Because in my mind, if I reduce my intake down, then I wouldn't gain the weight. But what was really happening was that my metabolism was just slowing. And so therefore my hormones were reacting to that. You know, essentially my body was being influenced by how I was thinking of myself, how I was feeling inside, you know, and therefore it was influencing my behavior. And so my brain was kind of telling the rest of my body, like, hey, it's not really a safe environment to bring a child into. Hits pretty home. It hits pretty hard home for me when I really unpack it now. So I hope that, you know, hearing that in that way helped you to maybe see it in another light, whether it be for yourself or for somebody that you know. But this is why biofeedback is so important, guys. Like, please stop ignoring it. So last but not least here on the list that I gave you earlier is progress photos. Here's the big one. Of all the biofeedback that I just unpacked for you, this winds up showing up, like literally, you guys, showing up like it is it is an infographical piece of data you know that we can look at and we can think a certain way and we can feel a certain way about pictures in the way that our body looks you see most people start here they see their progress photos and are like you know yuck ish whatever i need to get it together but truly, this is actually much like the image of the iceberg, if you're familiar with this. So it's where you see part of an iceberg sticking out of the top of the water, but there's an even larger iceberg, chunk of the iceberg, I should say, under the water that you can't see. And here's what's even more of a shocker. Our progress photos are typically one of the last things to change. So if you can't see the change then it's easy to quit on yourself because if we go back to the beginning of the episode in which I talked about these thoughts and these feelings and these actions, we think that we're not making progress. We feel disappointed with ourselves and then we stop taking action. It's pointless. What's the use? You know, in order to avoid this whole spiral, it is a true spiral. From happening, we need to get really good at identifying our opportunities and starting with biofeedback so that we can start working on improving them, monitoring them, evaluating, seeing positive changes there first. Wow. How are you feeling right now? So much information there, right? And, and you probably thought, well, I'm just going to listen to this episode to get a list of things that I need to work on to boost it or, you know, improve my hormone function. Listen, I hope that this information helps you to be able to get a little farther ahead. But if you're looking for support on implementing, you know, some of these concepts that I taught in this episode, please reach out. I'm literally just a DM away. And I hope that this episode brought you a ton of value and connected some dots for you that maybe weren't quite connected in the past. Take care. See you in the next one.
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Danny Abel podcast. If you're enjoying the show and you haven't already, consider subscribing and leaving me a five-star review. If you love the episode, screenshot it, share it to your story, and tag me. And lastly, if you have any questions, send me a DM and I'll see if I can help. Thanks again for listening. Take care.